Tonight we're looking at something that you probably looked at last week, and that is the crucifixion. Last Friday was Good Friday, the day that Christians have traditionally celebrated as the day where Christ gave up His life on the cross. And so we're, we're kind of going back in the story in some ways with where we're at today. Now we have said all along that John wants us to know that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the one sent by the Father. And on the cross, Jesus is completing that work. You saw it there in His words where He says, where He says, It is finished. And tonight, we want to look at that. But before we do, I'd like to share a story with you. In 1928, a a scientist uh, stepped out of his office to go on vacation. He had happened to leave the windows in his office. There was an air conditioning in this office. He happened to leave them up while he was gone. And when he returned, he found the mess that he had left prior to going on vacation still where it was. There over in the corner were a stack of little Petri dishes. If you've ever taken a chemistry class, Petri dishes about that big, about yay deep. And it's, they're usually used for growing stuff in there. And he was growing a particular strain of, uh, of bacteria. When he arrived, he said that he looked down at the uh, dishes, and there were some of them that had clear spots in them where there once were bacteria. And uh, what had happened was, on that very day, by accident, a man by the name of Sir Alexander Fleming had just discovered something massive, something utterly massive that would transform and shake the medical world, medical history, for the rest, medicine as we know it. He discovered by accident penicillin. What had happened was, what had happened was, was the window was up <laughs> and mold had, had come in from the atmosphere, had landed in the Petri dish, and this particular mold produced, produced penicillin, and it killed the bacteria growing in the Petri dishes all by accident. And if you were there that day, you would have just kind of said, oh, cool. I mean, it's, he actually, his two words were, that's funny. That's actually what he said. That's funny. And the idea is this. On a normal day, on the surface, something, it looked like an every regular, regular day. But if you've ever had a cold, if you've ever had strep throat, if you've ever taken any antibiotic, you, you have Alexander Fleming's accidental discovery to thank for it. And why do I share that for you? Share that with you. It's real simple. A simple event on the surface, underneath brood, underneath brood, a massive, massive, earth-shattering, earth-changing, world-changing event, the advent of modern medicine with respect to antibiotics. It utterly changed the face that we do medicine. Listen, I would like to suggest to you tonight that on the cross, that when Jesus was dying, if you were looking at him, you may have said something like that. A Roman criminal, this is what we do. We execute people. But listen, underneath the surface, something amazing and earth-shattering was going on. Something so grand, history has been, I would say cosmic history, has been changed because of it. What was it? Here it is. That Jesus was reconciling sinners to God. That atonement was actually happening on the cross that day. Jesus says this. He says, it is finished. And tonight, we want to ask the question, what does He mean? When he says, it is finished. What is the it that has been finished? 
Y'all, if you've been around RUF long enough, we have said stuff like this, that deep inside every single one of us is a principle that we want to try to make ourselves ourselves right with God, right? I mean, I've talked to several of you in this room, and you're like, you know what, it would have just been easier if God would have just given me a list of like 15 things to do that I could make myself right with Him because I'd just go out there and do it, right? Because some of us love, we, we, we all in our hearts want to earn our salvation before God. And what the cross is going to tell us tonight, it's going to tell us that we cannot make ourselves right with God, both by paying for our wrongs, trying to beat ourselves up, or by doing enough good things, but instead this, that Christ is the one that makes us right with God by parading His rights around, what He earned, and by paying for our wrongs for us. So the very first point I want to look at tonight when we answer this question, what is it that Jesus is finishing? I want you to see this, that first of all, He is receiving the law's penalty. That's my first point. He's receiving the law's penalty. So that's the first point. Let's take a look at that. Well, let me first of all, we need to understand a little bit about what's going on in the text. Verse 28 tells us that after this, Jesus, knowing all that was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture. That, that phrase is very important, fulfill the Scripture. Let's take a look here at how many times that shows up. One right there in verse 28, and then down again, we see this in verse 36, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. And again in verse 37, another Scripture says, they will look on Him who they have pierced. The first thing I want you to understand about the crucifixion, about receiving the law's penalty, is that this is the story that God has, is now fulfilling. You see, it would be easy to think that the Old Testament and the New Testament are separate. That what happened in the Old Testament doesn't have a bearing on what's happening in the New Testament. And what John wants us to see is that when God came to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that this is the exact same story. It's the exact same narrative. And so the idea there is that Jesus is so committed to the plan of the Father, He submits Himself to the actual Scriptures in fulfilling this work on the cross. That's the first thing I want you to see is that it happened in accordance with the Scriptures. The second thing I want you to know about crucifixion is that it was not a pretty, pretty sight at all. Let's spend a few moments explaining this. It was Friday. It was Good Friday. And Jesus is now nailed on the cross. If you were with us a few weeks ago in freshman Bible study, you heard me articulate this. But for those of you that weren't, let me explain a little bit about what crucifixion was. Crucifixion was the Roman state-ordained way of executing its criminals. We in our, uh, in our states, we have death penalties. The Roman death penalty was not lethal injection. The, the death penalty was the cross. The death penalty was not uh, an electric chair, but rather and it was the crucifixion. And so we said this jokingly that if you're wearing a cross right now or if you have a tattoo of a cross, you actually have an image on you that is the Roman execution method. Just think about that. Now think about how the history of Christianity has transformed the meaning of the cross. It's kind of, it's really cool if you think about it. But what was happening on the cross? Jesus' arms were spread as you've seen him portrayed. Uh, his, his, his hands, his hands, his feet were nailed into this, these, these wooden blocks. There would have been a hole dug where the base of the cross would have fallen into the hole. And when that weight uh, came crashing down into the hole, uh, it would have separated the shoulders 
of its victim. So Jesus' shoulders would have been separated more than likely uh, by that event. And here he is with crown on his head, nails, railroad spikes going through his wrists, through his feet, and uh, his, now his shoulders are separated. And what that does is, is that it creates an inability to breathe. You begin to suffocate. And uh, the way that you alleviate the suffocation is that you, you try to get weight up off of your shoulders. And so what you do is you press down your feet. The problem is, though, is every time you press on your feet in crucifixion, guess what? Searing pain through the legs because you've got a railroad bolt going through both your ankles. A very gruesome and, and gory way to die. But it was Rome's way of saying, do not mess with us. They were put on public display for the world to see. It was a horrifying death. As the text tells us, look, look with me here. Do you see this? That it was the day of preparation, verse 31. What's that mean? Well, it was Friday. That was the day that you would have prepared for the Sabbath the next day. And nobody wanted uh, the bodies to basically die the slow death. They wanted to go ahead and kill them. And so the Jews asked Pilate, verse 31, that their legs may be broken and that they might be taken away. Why ask if their legs would be broken? Think about it. There's a criminal on a cross, and the way that life is sustained slowly, right? The slow death happens by the up and down, up and down relieving of the pressure on the lungs and the shoulders by the pressure put on the foot. And the idea is, is if you want to expedite death, you do what? You snap the legs. You break the legs so they cannot push up anymore, and it expedites the death. That's what's going on when it says legs being broken, a very horrifying thing. Now, that's well and good to know a little bit about what, ex- about what crucifixion is, but what is the point of it for Jesus? Why? Why is Jesus dying? Well, here's why. We need to be able to understand that the reason that Jesus is dying is because He is receiving for us the penalty for our sins. He is receiving what our sin The sins of the world get the payout of it. The writer of Romans, Paul says this, that Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says this, that the wages, the payout of sin is death. What does sin in your life and my life get us? The wage that we deserve because of our sin, because of our breaking God's law, is one thing. We ought to wage and earn death. And what Jesus is doing is he is taking our death for us. This is fulfilling a long Old Testament word from Deuteronomy chapter 28 that says this, If you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all of his commandments and statutes that I command you today, then all of these curses shall come upon you. And one of those curses was a man dying on a tree. You see, Paul will say in Galatians chapter 3, not a text that we're going to look at tonight, that Jesus was the one that bore that curse, that bore that negative penalty, that bore the laws, the laws demands for sin in him. Does that make sense? Christ was receiving the payment of our sin upon him. Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us. And so what is going on is that Christ is receiving, that He is receiving on the cross the law's penalty. And here, y'all, 
here is what I want you to see. That what this does is that it gets us forgiveness. Think about that. Christ is achieving our forgiveness. Because what that means is, is that all of the sin that you and me have stacked up through our lives, right? If we were to open our lives and look at the ledger and say, what happened on June the 7th, you know, 2016, uh, 2000, and, hasn't even happened yet, um, where, like 2012, what was going on in your life? And you were to look at the ledger of your life and have it played back to you and you say, wow, look here, da-da-da-da, look here, da-da-da-da, look here. You see, the record is just stacked miles high. And imagine in that moment, Christ shouldering the sin of His people in that moment, and He is taking the payment for it. He is receiving God's just displeasure for sin in that moment. But what it actually does, y'all, what it actually does is it, is it frees us from having to pay it. You see what I'm saying? You see, here's why. Imagine you're in a court, right? Imagine you go to a court and you, you, watch a, you watch a case unfold for you and somebody is convicted of you know, some sort of crime. And the judge says, for that crime, you must pay $10,000 and serve a week in jail. Right? Because there's been an offense, there's guilt, and the penalty for that guilt is the fine and the time served. Right? Well, what would happen if after the fine was paid and... After the time was served, if that exact same person showed up in the exact same courtroom afterwards and the judge was met with that person again. Imagine if the judge said, for that crime that you've already paid, you must pay again. Now you can't, you had to understand that that would not be justice at all, would it? Would it? Because the crime has already been paid for. And what Jesus is saying on the cross is this, that because I have taken the penalty that you deserve, you, dear ones, will never, ever, ever have to pay it. Because for God to exact payment for the same crime twice would compromise God's justice. He would cease to be just in that moment, and He'll never do that. Why would this be so important for us? Why would forgiveness be so incredibly important for us? Well, here's why. Because what I want you to see is this. I want you to see, I don't care who you are tonight. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care what your story is. I don't care how many people you have slept with. I don't care how many drugs you've done. I don't care how lying your tongue is. I don't care how greedy you are in your hearts. Look inside you. Find out the thing that you hate about yourself. And I want you to see that if you are in Christ tonight, that is paid for. Christ has paid for that. And you do not have to. In fact, you can't pay for it. That's good news. And why is that so important? That means this, because if now God were to open the ledger book of your life and look at all that you have done, there is a big red stamp stamped across the account of Ryan Anderson, right? Of Mary Elizabeth, of Caleb, of Emily. If you are in Christ, across your account is a big red stamp that says forgiven. Never considered again. That is, that is phenomenally freeing. And here's why. If Jesus has paid it all as we have sung, 
That means that you can't pay it. So I want to say this. Why are you trying to? Why are you trying to? Say what? Well, listen, when I was in college, and this was first being put on display to me, one of the most liberating things to me was to see that when I sought to kick my own tail and to beat myself up about some sin pattern in my life, it was as if I was looking at Jesus on the cross and saying, thank you for giving your life. Thank you for suffering and enduring the cross for me. Thank you for experiencing literally hell by the separation from your heavenly Father. Thank you for doing all that for me, but I need to add a little something, something on top of it too to make sure that I can be good with God. You see, I'm going to beat myself up. I'm going to shame myself and play the guilt game over and over again for the sin that I had committed. And for us to do that, listen, dear friends, for us to do that, to beat yourself up, to think that there is more that you can pay than what Jesus has already given, is to go to the foot of the cross where He is dying, to look Him at the face and to give Him the bird. It's as if to say, thanks, but no thanks, I can add to this. It's an insult, do you see? It's an insult. The man gave his life for us. He paid it all. Therefore, why do we beat ourselves up over this stuff? I'm not talking about there's just something wrong with guilt. But what I'm saying is, is don't you want to know the freedom that comes? Don't you want to know the freedom that Christ has paid it all? That He's been the one that has purchased our forgiveness for us? That's what the cross is telling us. The cross is telling us that Jesus takes upon Himself the full demands, the full demands of the law for the reality of sin. Christ has paid for it. Does that make sense? That's the first thing that He's doing. In other words, when Jesus says, it is finished, listen. It means that all of God's justice has been executed. Never again to be borne out ever, ever again. That God is satisfied with Christ's payment for our sin. He is satisfied by His bloodshed for you and for me so that you and I will never, ever, ever have to pay it. The first thing, Christ is satisfying the law's demands. Secondly, secondly of two points, He also, he also fulfilled the law's demands. I've said this over and over again. I've said the one that he receives the law's penalty. Sorry, I said received the law's demands earlier. But he received the law's penalty and also he fulfilled the law's demands. Well, listen, what do I mean by fulfilling the law's demands? Well, let's take a look, first of all, about what's going on. You see, Jesus here, when he says, it is finished, he is finishing something. He's not just finishing the, the receiving of God's uh, just righteous, uh, just displeasure because of sin. He's also saying the life that I have lived is now finished. And why is that so, 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 so important? Because here's why. Our problem is more, listen to me, listen to me on this. Our problem is more than we just need to be forgiven. And that's new news to some of you. You've grown up in a church that's taught the only thing that you really need is forgiveness. And forgiveness is part of it. Forgiveness is part of it. But there's another problem as well, and that's this. That we need to be made righteous in God's eyes. So forgiveness is just 
part of the problem. Righteousness is the other part. And Christ is saying, it is finished. I have lived the perfect life. All that the law has demanded from me, I have met that perfectly. Think about this. Think about it in uh, Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is talking about um, what He has come to do. He says this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. In other words, don't think I've come to go like that to the Old Testament. No, He's saying, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from this law until all is accomplished. Listen, y'all, righteousness is this. Righteousness is blamelessness with respect to the law. It is living a pure life. It is living, it is looking at the Old Testament and living a blameless life at every point along the way and being perfect. Does that make sense? So if I were to ask you, have you ever, we just go down the list, have you ever made something more supreme in your life than God? You busted the first commandment right there. You're guilty. Have you ever hated somebody in your heart? Boom, you've busted it. Have you ever lusted after somebody? Boom, you've busted it. Have you ever wanted something else that somebody else wanted? Boom. Have you ever failed to love anybody in your life? Boom. Guilt, 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 guilt guilty, guilty, guilty. Guilty. Right? And didn't we say the good news was is that Christ forgave us? Well, listen, that's true, but there's a problem. And I think the best way to illustrate it is like this. Imagine. Imagine you're like, you've got, the, you've got 10 credit cards and you're just racking up, you're just buying stuff left and right, right? You keep getting those statements, you keep getting those statements, they're coming to you, there's debt, 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 debt. And you finally stack them all up and you're like, whoa, I got like, I'm just going to pick an exorbitant number. I got like $5 million worth of debt on my credit cards. Now imagine going to the banking institution that holds that debt, walking in there and saying, I got debt, Mr. Smith. Uh, there is no way I can pay it, and I need the debt to be forgiven. And out of sheer grace, Mr. Smith says, Done. It is your debt is forgiven. And we look at that and we say, that's what we just talked about, right? That, that, our, that things have been forgiven. The red stamp is there, right? But here's the, here's the issue. When you walk out of, the, out, of the, out of the bank, how much money do you now have? Not one red cent. You've got nothing. And what you need, dear friends to be welcomed into the very heart of God is not just to be forgiven. You need to be made righteous. You need to be declared righteous. And what Christ is doing on the cross for us is not merely paying the negative for us. Listen, this is wonderful. Christ is saying, the very righteousness that I have that I lived my life for, the way that I met the law at every turn and I lived it perfectly, all of that is now for you. Such that when God looks at you, He not only doesn't see your sin, He looks on you and He sees the righteousness that I have earned and that I have gained. And what that means for you is that if you are in Christ tonight, when God looks at you, He sees the righteousness of Christ. Can you believe that? He does not see your sin. 
He sees the righteousness of Christ. That is massive for us, dear friends. And why does that matter? Because I want you to see tonight that you, if you are in Christ tonight, that Christ has done everything to not only pay your debt, but to make you righteous in the Father's sight. And if you are righteous in His sight, you have the acceptance that Christ has with the Father as well. We are dealing with what is very central and very core to Christianity tonight. That God not only forgives you on the cross, but that God makes you righteous in His sight. And if that's the case, guess what? The deal is done, y'all. You don't have to work to try to get God to love you. Why? Because Jesus has done it all for you. That the law has been fulfilled for, in Christ for you. And so therefore, what does that mean? That means Christ is, that God now sees you as perfect in His sight. Y'all, this is amazing because it means it frees you up from all your religious performances. Here's why this is so important. Many of us, many of us, many of us live with a deep abiding sense that God is unpleased with us. We really do. And so we spend our lives trying to prove to Him that He would love us. And so we go on missions trips. We're involved with 10 campus ministries. We uh, go to Bible study every night from some church somewhere. Uh, we don't sleep around because we say, it's really not a, I don't want to honor you, God, but I want to put you in my debt, right? Or we say things like, I'm going to be really, really nice to people so that when the time comes and I need a good job, God will have to see that I have done all these great things for Him and now He'll have to give me what I need. We play the bargaining game with God. Y'all, y'all do, don't raise your hand. You do know what I'm talking about? The bargaining game with God? I've done all this good stuff. Now you're my debtor. And so now when I need something, I'm going to cash my chips in and you better deliver God. And what the cross is telling us is that that is not the economy. That is not the economics of the kingdom. God loves you as a father. He loves you as a father of his children. He is intimately, intimately connected with you. He desires your good and delights in you. And what that means, it means this. If your religious performances, if the very do-goodism that resides deep in your heart cannot earn the Father's smile one bit, it means you're free from having to always try to gain the Father's smile. The Father smiles on you because of what Jesus has done. Is that not great news? Think about it like this. That you have a righteousness that is foreign to you that came from Jesus. And right now, it sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Your righteousness does such that you can't get to it and screw it up. That's what Jesus does for us. And He loves us, dear ones. He loves us. The second thing I want you to see is this, is Christ not only receives, receives the law's penalty, He has mastered, He has met its very demands. This has led the great reformer Martin Luther to call it the great exchange. 
And if you've fallen asleep, if you're not paying attention to me, let me put the finest point I possibly can on it. Here is what's happening on the cross. Jesus has taken all of your sin and the just payment that it deserves. And He bears out the wrath of God for you. Does that make sense? But the other thing that happens is this. The perfect life that He lived, the perfect righteousness that He had in all His life, is now transferred to your account such that if we were to open the books on your life, not only do you see forgiven, but right beside it you see the words righteous. Righteous. That is what is at the heart of the gospel. It is what led John Newton to write, Upon a life I did not live. Upon a death I did not die. Another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. It's the principle of substitution. Somebody else has paid for what you deserve and you receive the benefits of that payment from somebody else. A friend of mine tells me the story. It's unbelievable. I cannot imagine it, but it is true. That one of his friends got a call from Barclays. Barclays, as you know, is a financial institution. And um, they, were, they are a sponsor of one of the major golfers on the tour. I think it was Phil Mickelson. And this was a uh, golf... If you don't know Phil Mickelson, he's a golfer. And the pro, there's a thing called a pro-am, for those of you that don't know golf, where a professional plays with an amateur, and they team up and they play together. And my friend's friend got paired up with Phil Mickelson, and they were playing against Tiger Wood and, and another amateur. And what was amazing is, is that at about the fifth hole or whatever, Phil leans over to my friend's friend and says, hey, I just want to let you know, I'm like, I'm hitting the ball really, really well today, and we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna win. And uh, uh, I just want you to know that, like, we're, you're about to beat Tiger Woods. And so he yells at Tiger, and he says, "Hey, Tiger, how about a, uh, how about a thousand dollars a hole? How about a thousand dollars a hole?" And Tiger goes, "Yeah, that's fine. That's great." And they, they're getting into the clubhouse. It's about hole. There's 18 holes in a round. It's about hole 14 or so. And Phil leans over my friend's friend. He says, now listen, listen. When, you walk into that cl- when we get done in that clubhouse, I want you to go up to Tiger and I want you to say, I want you to say, it's time to pay up. And at the end of 18 holes, they, they, you know, they'd won or whatever. And he walks up to Tiger and he's like, Tiger, it's time for you to pay up. And Tiger reaches into his pocket and pulls out about five grand. And he gives it not to Phil, but he gives it to the amateur. Now think about this for a second. Who beat Tiger Woods that day? Phil Mickelson did. Who received all of the benefits from Phil Mickelson's win? My friend's friend. Do you see that on the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus is the one that has done everything. And you are the one, if you are in Him, that receive all of the benefits of not only his death, but his life. That, my friends, is the best news that you are ever going to hear in your entire life. Let's pray.